Hey, I'm Justin with Hellhound Hot Dogs and the All Vegan Hot Dog Cart over here in Brisbane, Australia. You can find us at Between the Walls or uh, somewhere on the streets of Brisbane um, or at facebook.com slash Hellhound Hot Dog. Um, and you're listening to Coexisting with Non-Human Animals. I know the human being and fish can coexist peacefully. Vegetarian. Vegan. Yeah, Let's well. get it right. You used the word animals, but I suppose what you should have said is non-human animals. Hello and welcome to episode 84 of Coexisting with Non-Human Animals. Your favourite fr- favourite fro from the... <laughs> Your favourite show from the city above the town of Bluff, but below the city of Dunedin. There, I got it right. Episode 84, Hellhounds with Hot Dogs Accompany Men in Tutus. Episode 84, a great number. Setting of that book written by Eric Arthur Blair in 1948 about the police state. A time when a young, dark-skinned Michael Jackson was on top of the charts for Thriller. In 1984 was also the year of the first Apple Macintosh computer, the Mac, being released and forever changing the world. A bit like that Tim Berners-Lee guy, you know, that all the American news journalist people didn't know who he was, as well as that damn Diana Fleischman on the latest episode of The Vegan Option, their third special feature about the Olympics, theveganoption.org or .com or something. Uh, quick, Jordan, open up Chrome. Come on, boy. The Vegan Option. Come on. Theveganoption.org. Yeah, I was right. It's at theveganoption.org, and uh, thankfully Ian, half of the dynamic duo, he knew who Tim Berners-Lee was, the man who invented the internet, practically. Well, the first web server using a Next computer, which was owned and created by Steve Jobs after he was kicked out of it. Long story short, read the Wikipedia article on Next and Apple sometime, okay? It's great fun. You'll spend all day on it, but it's, it's great fun. Episode 84 of Coexisting with Non-Human Animals. It's all about... Changes over time. So what's been happening since the last episode? Well, I'd be boring you even more than usual if I told you everything. So check out the blog to see for yourself. Coexisting.co.nz That sounds kind of aggressive, right? Check out the blog and see for yourself. Please? Is it okay if I put a please on the end? Check out the blog, please? Coexisting.co.nz from delivering pamphlets for the New Zealand Green Party and being scared by big dogs and aggressive no junk mail signs. A weird probe that dairy farmers use on dairy cows to calm them down goes inside their bottom and is said to make them feel good through electric pulses and stuff and zapping them inside. Donating the Ruby Roth children's books about veganism to our library. And uh, it's all on the blog. www coexisting.co.nz well worth a look last episode I mentioned coexisting with non-human animals had a Facebook group and it was on something like 500 members now there's currently over a thousand thank you to everyone who's liked the page if you enjoy the show I'd appreciate if you'd give it a like too you'll find our Facebook group on the blog coexisting.co.nz or by searching the show's name on Facebook. That makes sense, too. Invercargill is currently having a city council election. Some guy on the council board left or something, and so they have to find someone else to sit still and be quiet in his place. I have not one, 
but two Facebook friends running for the position. Steve Broad, a well-known Invercargill man who appeared on a nationwide talent show and nearly won, and my friend Rebecca uh, Amundsen, I always have to check I'm saying her surname right, Amundsen, not Edmondson, it's Amundsen, a local historian and community activist. I know Rebecca through Transition Towns, where she leads us in planning for a more sustainable Invercargill. You know, making sure good old Invers gets good miles to the gallon and everything. An efficient place to live. I wanted to attend the candidates' debate held a couple of weeks ago in a church late at night, but something else came up. A special emergency Invercargill Vegan Society potluck. I'll get to that soon. Rebecca part-time works at the Invercargill Library, working with oral history, recording people's voices while they tell their stories of how things used to be. I'd wanted for the Invercargill Vegan Society to donate some books on veganism to our public library for a while now, and thought by striking up a fake friendship with Rebecca and slipping 30 pieces of silver into her palm that maybe she'd help us get our proper brain books and the library. I joked to Rebecca that if she could help get the Ruby Roth children's books in, that she'd have my vote. She was cool with that, and so was I. Much cheaper than 30 silver coin... Oh, actually... The cheapest silver currency we use in New Zealand are 20 cent pieces, so 30 times 20 cents, that's, that's only six dollars. So in the damn, <laughs> the books cost double that each, so uh, Rebecca screwed me over on that one. Damn you, Rebecca Munston. A true friend would have told me that 30 pieces of silver, you know, when they're 20 cent coins, would have been cheaper than the bribe I was paying you. We managed to get Vegan is Love, and That's Why We Don't Eat Animals by Ruby Roth into our library. It's really exciting to think that we've gotten our proper books into the public water supply, general populace's blood's public library circulation. If it wasn't for our emergency Invercargill Vegan Society potluck, I would have went to the debate and asked Rebecca a couple of easy questions, in disguise of course. I'd have bought a fake moustache from the $2 shop, where everything costs $2 and worn a fedora hat with a trench coat, so I'd blend in and look like everyone else in a North Invercargill church at 7pm at night. It would have went a little something like these two Simpsons clips, from two different episodes, but both about Mr Burns. You can see which episodes of The Simpsons I used for these clips in my uh, show's episodes show notes for this episode. Yeah, that's, that makes sense. Hello, my name is Mr. Snrub, and I come from, uh, someplace far away. Yes, that will do. Anyway, I, I say we invest that money back in the nuclear plant. I like the way Snrub thinks. We're hoping that one of the children might pop up with a question about the upcoming election. Little girl, do you think you can memorize this by dinner time tomorrow? Mr. Burns, your campaign seems to have the momentum of a runaway freight train. Why are you so popular? Very good. Hmm. Well, as long as I'm asking something, can I ask him to assuage my fears that he's contaminating the planet in a manner that may one day render it uninhabitable? Now, dear, the card question will be fine. Well, I think the non-card question is a valid... Marge! Don't worry, my daughter's very bright and I'm sure she'll be able to memorize your question by dinner time tomorrow. Last month, we had a great potluck. One of our best yet. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, um, I always forget the month, it's my usual thing. It is July, right? I get so confused. 
<laughs> it's okay. It's hard, hard to remember the, the months. And the month is Tuesday. It's like the, <laughs> it's the seven. <laughs> and uh, we've had a, a wonderful banquet as always, and we had three different types of aloe vera drink, and one of them was lemon, and one of them was cranberry, and one of them was green. <laughs> it comes in green. Yeah. And we've had some of the most wonderful food yet, and um, partly that's due to my friend Russell here. How are you today, Russell? Oh, not bad. And what did you make? Uh, I made a phyllo, a, a stuffed phyllo, spinach, and um, I made a tofu ricotta to go with it. And what's it like making the pastry? And... Oh, most enjoyable. <laughs> it's like meditation. <laughs> Dan, what did you bring today? Um, I made Catherine's lemon and poppy cake, um, a vegan custard square, and some pasta with homemade pasta sauce. Oh. And Catherine, which of the t-shirts is your favourite today? I like the Peaceful Prairie Sanctuary. Yeah, it's in Colorado. It's quite fun. It's mm. my friend Joanna, and I've got a couple of them. I can get you one sometime. Yes, please. <laughs> oh, and um, I always have to include Steve now as well. Though. But Kerry, what did you bring today? Um, some chickpea curry and rice and... Uh, Does it have a big name for the like, goulash? Chickpea stuff? curry. Chickpea curry? Yeah. I thought it was really good. And Chickpea, I to, spinach, to potato, um, and a, a sultana loaf and fudge cake. Oh, well, thank you. And this has been another successful potluck. And uh, we'll see you sometime in Invercargill, like our friend uh, Justin of Hellhound Hot Dogs is coming here next month, apparently. Whatever next month is, Wednesday. So. <laughs> <laughs> and at Wednesday's potluck, held the same night as the candidates' debate, we had Australian friend Justin join us. And he told us all about his vegan hot dog business, Hellhound Hot Dogs. Great name, great logo, and great vegan street food. I've interviewed Justin before on episode 72, Vegan Food from Hell. So we're here at the Invercargill Vegan Society August Potluck, and uh, we didn't have the greatest attendance that we've ever had, <laughs> but we had some of the greatest food, and we had um, a special guest from probably the furthest away that we've had, so most of the time we get a guest from North Invercargill, it's like, oh, they made it from North Invercargill, you know, like five minutes drive, and one of our guests came a little bit further. Um, so we had Dan, and Dan came um, after work, and what did you bring today, Dan? I made a lentil and vegetable soup. Oh, and it was really good. It was absolutely one of the best soups I've ever had, and I, I know I always like compliment oh, thank you, but you. Yeah, it was really good. Um, and I, what did I make? Um, I had uh, some lemon cake thing and lemon little cherry cupcake things. You got little cherries in the middle of the cupcakes, and um, crazy chili con TVP I call it because it's you know chili con carne, which means animal flesh, but it's got TVP in it. And yeah, a ginger quinoa um, crazy curry thing. But we also had a guest, and um, his name is Justin, and he came from Australia. How are you, Justin? I'm very good, thanks. And why are you in New Zealand for? Um, for lemon cake, because it's really, really yummy. <laughs> um, no, but I'm tour managing a ballet company over here, Ballet LOL, old men in tutus. Um, we have, uh, and I stopped at Hell Pizza on the way here to bring to get one of their sinister vegan pizzas. <laughs> um, and yeah, really enjoying the soup and the chili non carn and the. <laughs> And, uh, and the hot dogs, because I'm the hot dog guy. <laughs> yeah, I heard that. There's this guy with like a podcast called Coexisting with Non-Human Animals, and he like interviewed you like a year ago or something. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he did. Yes. <laughs> so you're the hellhound hot dogs guy. 
Yes, I started a vegan hot dog business back in Brisbane. And I joked on that episode about starting up the franchise here, and like maybe one day, you know, sounds like a good way to make money. Well, I do. I don't actually charge franchise fees. Anyone's welcome to start a Hellhound hot dogs wherever, <laughs> wherever they are. Right? Can think... we get a T-shirt? Can we get a free T-shirt if we start a franchise? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for coming here, Justin. No worries. It's been a pleasure. That was a cosy small pot like Dan, myself, Justin, and a brief cameo appearance from Kerry. Kerry also makes an appearance in the photos I took of the vegan books at our library, posing in the children's department with her six-year-old vegan son, Jess. Before Justin had to leave the grand city of Invercargill, we made sure to get a video of him demonstrating how you apply mustard and tomato sauce to, to a, well, I guess it's a hellhound hot dog's official hot dog, you know, made out of buns and... Um, sanitarium brand hot dog sausages made in Australia that I bought from local pack and save here. Yeah, it's probably gets the tick of approval. So you can see Justin doing his, uh, strutting his stuff, you could say, uh, on the video for the August potluck, coexisting.co.nz, the August potluck. But before he had to leave good old Invercargill, we managed to have three days of wild and wacky adventures with him. We saw Men in Tutus, the male comedy ballet that he was tour managing, we showed him around in Vicargal, and we drove to Bluff, bottom of the South Island, to take photos of him at World War II gun emplacements. Big concrete bunker-like buildings, where huge cannons were kept back in the day, just in case New Zealand was invaded. You can see photos from both the July potluck and August potluck on our website, www.invsoc.org.nz, I-N-V-S-O-C.org.nz, and then the events page. You'll also see links to Justin's adventures around Invercargill, too. Thank you to everyone at our last two potlucks. Gee, we keep having them, right? And there's another potluck this Friday, too, with guests from around New Zealand coming for it. Wellington, our capital city on the other island, it's sending its fair daughter, Miss Julie Gunn, host of radio show Animal Rights and Wrongs. Then, there's apparently a couple of people from Queenstown driving down especially. Beautiful snowy mountains, lakes, tourist town... Um, someone from rural Southland is coming, with Russell, and possibly a woman from Auckland, too, coming with Stephen Carey and Jess. So, <laughs> I just hope I have enough cheers for everyone at this next potluck. Whatever it is on Thursday, Thursday's potluck. I've recently finished two Stephen King audiobooks. His latest about time travel and stopping the JFK assassination, 112263, that's the name of it, I'm not just calling out bingo numbers or something, and classic novel Carrie, about a telekinetic girl who blows up prom night. Both have examples of unusual culture, of how people thought and acted at the time, and um, which makes it sound like it would be usual culture, doesn't it, if that's how people acted. But the culture happens to be unusual, because it's unusual, different, because most people don't travel in time, and most people don't blow up schools on prom night. And, you know societal norms and all that kind of jazz, what was normal for the period, you could say. Here's Carrie, which um, by itself sounds like a Jack Nicholson quote from The, the Shining, another Stephen King book made into a movie. Here's Johnny! <laughs> the audiobook version of Carrie I have is actually read and acted out by Sissy Spacek, the woman who played the main character in the movie, all these years later after being the naked shower scene girl who set fire to things. Now she's here, reading the audiobook version. 
Here's Carrie on the White family's unusual, ultra-strict religious beliefs. Ivy had crawled up the west side of the bungalow. They always called it the bungalow because the White House sounded like a political joke, and Mama said all politicians were crooks and sinners and would eventually give the country over to the godless Reds, who would put all the believers of Jesus, even the Catholics, up against the wall. And the Ivy was picturesque. She knew it was, but sometimes she hated it. Ralph was a construction worker, and people on the street said he carried a Bible and a thirty-eight revolver to work with him every day. The Bible was for his coffee break and lunch. The thirty-eight was in case he met Antichrist on the job. Right, because the Antichrist, the ultimate personification of evil, will just end up being shot to death by some guy on his lunch break, right? This one's even better. The napkin Miss Desjardin had fixed was already wilting, and she changed it carefully. Knowing how bad she was, how bad they were, how she hated them and herself. Only Mama was good. Mama had battled the black man and had vanquished him. Carrie had seen it happen in a dream. Mama had driven him out the front door with a broom, and the black man had fled up Carlin Street into the night, his cloven feet striking red sparks from the cement. Her mama had torn the something out of herself, and was pure. Carrie hated her. Holy hell! I'm the Prince of Darkness, Lord Satan himself, but it's a middle-aged religious woman with a broom. I'm getting my tail behind the heck out of here. <laughs> of course, the main events of Carrie involve the dreaded prom night. His surviving classmates also give him high marks, and this is significant. There were only twelve survivors of what has become known in the popular press as prom night. Those who were not in attendance were largely the unpopular members of the junior and senior classes. Back in my senior years at religious school Verdon College, a Catholic school where the godless Reds were apparently going to put us all up against the wall and shoot us, we had two proms, although in New Zealand we call them a ball, two school balls. I even had a couple young women who wanted to go with me. <laughs> go figure. But did I go with them? Nope. Because while they apparently hadn't learned much from school, I had studied the Stephen King documentary, Carrie. I knew what happened on prom night. Everyone should know what happens on prom night. It's pop culture mentioned in rap songs. And even though I laugh it off, man, it's probably true Cause while all of my closest friends out partying I'm just here making all the music that they party to But party on, party on, all night, nigga. I got these new rappers nervous prom night, nigga. I grow tired of these f***ing grown man liars Storytellers, they ain't even need a campfire uh, But I just wanna tell the truth As long as having loads of mysterious muted bits the song Light Up by African-Canadian rapper Drake mentions prom night as something to be nervous of, and not just because you're nervous of dancing or spilling something on your rented tuxedo. No, because some chick always shows up and blows the place to kingdom come after a bucket of pig's blood dropped from the theatre lights and hit her a popular date on the head, knocking him out and then drenching her. She snaps and the whole town goes up in flames. We've all seen the documentary. So why would we want to go to prom night? I... Covered with it, was colored a ghastly purple with her revulsion and her shame. She could smell herself, 
and it was the stink of blood, the awful, wet, coppery smell. And yet we all eat animal flesh, which has had blood running through it, next to it, right? It's interesting to think about how we all thought of how meat was made. So we know that animals go in alive, and then they are somehow humanely put down, and that bit's a bit blurry, and we don't want to know about it. They're somehow cut up, and what do we think happens to their blood, to their heads and eyeballs and feet? It all goes somewhere, and apparently that includes pig's blood and buckets at prom night. There were only 12 survivors of what has become known in the popular press as prom night. Those who were not in attendance were largely the, the smart unpopular ones. members of the junior and senior classes. The vegan ones who stayed home, who didn't want to end up covered in pig's blood, they stayed at home and listened to Michael Jackson all by himself. Yep. But some people insist on going to their prom night, just as they run ahead over downed electrical wires. Quick, Cora. Oh, God, I don't want to get burned alive. I said, stop that. We have to use our heads, Georgette, or we'll never use them again. Something foolish like that, but she wouldn't listen. She let go of my hand and started to run for the sidewalk. I screamed at her to stop. There was one of those heavy main cables broken off right in front of us, but she didn't listen, and she... she... Oh, I could smell her when she started to burn. Smoke just seemed to burst out of her clothes, and I thought, that's what it must be like when someone gets electrocuted. The smell was sweet, like pork. Have any of you ever smelled that? Sometimes I smell it in my dreams. You smell pig's flesh in your dreams? This whole hipster obsession with, oh man, bacon, vegans, they turn non-vegan when they have pig smell. Oh, the wonderful uh, pig's flesh, it's so great. We really have to get over that hang-up. Having dreams about it? Honestly. Well, most of us grew up non-vegan, so that's something to talk about when someone mentions, oh, I could never give up pig flesh, it's great. You could jokingly remind them that the great documentary, <laughs> Carrie, lets us know that that's what people are made out of too, including those who have stepped on sparking electrical cables when they went ahead and went to their damn prom. There's a lot of explosions in Carrie, but it's the gas stations that are the most interesting. Gas stations as in petrol stations, the old American thing of gas meaning petrol. This one mentions another Stephen King character. Fire truck started to go by then, and I lost track of her. The new pumper pulled up to the school, and they started on those hydrants and saw they wasn't going to get no water. Chief Burton was hollering at him, and that's when the school exploded. Jesus. Question. Did you leave the police station? Answer. Yeah. I wanted to find Plessy and tell him about that crazy broad and the fire hydrants. I glanced over at Teddy's Amico, and I seen something that made my blood run cold. All six gas pumps was off their hooks. Teddy DeChamp's been dead since 1968, God love him. But his boy locked those pumps up every night, just like Teddy himself used to do. Every one of them Yale padlocks was hanging busted by their hasps. The nozzles were laying on the tarmac, and the automatic feeds were set on every one. Gas was pouring out onto the sidewalk and into the street. Teddy to Champ, one of the boys in Stand By Me. What a fantastic movie. Walk there now. 
Teddy Duchamp was the craziest guy we hung around with. He didn't have much of a chance in life. His dad was given to fits of rage. One time he held Teddy's ear to a stove and almost burned it off. I knock. He said, sick him, boy. But what I heard was, chopper, sick balls. Chopper was my first lesson in the vast difference between myth and reality. Come on, Chubby. Kiss my ass, Chubby. I'm gonna beat your ass teasing my dog like that. Yeah, like she tried to climb over his fence and get me fat ass. Don't you call me that, you little tin weasel peckerwood loony son. What did you call me? I know who you are. You're Teddy Duchamp. Your dad's a loony. A loony up in the nut house in Togas. He took your ear and he put it to a stove and he burnt it off. My father stormed the beach in Normandy. He's crazier than a shithouse rat. No wonder you're acting the way you are, with a loony for a father. You call my dad a loony again, and I'll kill you. Loony, loony, loony. Ah! I'm gonna rip your head off and shit down your neck! You! I'm gonna kill you! You come on and try it, you little slimy bastard! He wants you to go over there so he can beat the piss out of you and then take you to the cops! You watch your mouth, smart guy! Let him do his own fighting! Sure, you only outweigh my 500 pounds, fat ass! I know your name. You're the chance. I know all you guys, and all your fathers are going to get a call from me. Right at the end of Stand By Me, the movie, we find out what happened to all the boys when they grew up. Teddy tried several times to get into the army, but his eyes and his ear kept him out. Last I'd heard, he'd spent some time in jail and was now doing odd jobs around Castle Rock. The movie Stand By Me is fantastic, just like the song. Go and watch it again. Stephen King has a thing for yesteryear, often writing about the 1950s, early 1960s America. The world sure has changed a lot since then, such as smoking tobacco. Once everyone apparently smoked. Now it's becoming rarer and rarer. New Zealand wants to have a smoking ban by 2020. Here, in Carrie, we find even ambulance drivers heading to attend to fire and tend to burns victims, you know, burns victims at prom night, Smoke tobacco. By the way, here it's a gas main, 
which I believe is actual gas, is an LPG, liquid petroleum gas, which is petroleum. Hmm. Guess that's like the gas that the Americans use for petrol. So it's all the same thing. <laughs> 6 a.m., a Jackson Avenue gas main was opened. At 12.17, an ambulance attendant from Martin tossed out a cigarette butt as the rescue vehicle sped towards Summer Street. The explosion destroyed nearly half a block at a stroke, including the offices of the Chamberlain Clarion. By 12.18 a.m., Chamberlain was cut off from the country that slept in reason beyond. Here from the latest Stephen King novel, 112263, where people also smoked all the time back in the 1950s, alongside many other changes in society. Such a fog in teachers' rooms. Someday that'll all change. Smoking will be banned on school grounds for teachers as well as students. She smiled. It was a good one because her lips were rich and full, and the jeans, I must say, looked good on her. She had long, long legs, not to mention just enough junk in her trunk. A cigarette-free society? Negro children and white children studying side by side in perfect harmony? No wonder you're writing a novel. You've got one hell of an imagination. What else do you see in your crystal ball, George? Rockets to the moon? Sure, but it'll probably take a little longer than integration. One last clip from Carrie. This one's about one of the popular girls, how she imagined she might grow up and societal norms and pressures outside and her peer pressure and family and the culture around her will shape how she grows up and how her life will be as an adult. She was quite sure, or only hopeful, that she wasn't that weak, not that liable to fall docilely into the complacent expectations of parents, friends, and even herself. But now there was this shower thing where she had gone along and pitched in with high savage glee. The word she was avoiding was expressed to conform in the infinitive, and it conjured up miserable images of hair rollers, long afternoons in front of the ironing board, in front of the soap operas while hubby was off busting heavies in an anonymous office, of joining the PTA and then the country club when their income moved into five figures, of pills in circular yellow cases without number, to ensure against having to move out of the missus sizes before it became absolutely necessary, and against the intrusion of repulsive little strangers who shat in their pants and screamed for help at two in the morning, of fighting with desperate decorum to keep the African Americans out of clean corners, standing shoulder to shoulder with Terry Smith, Miss Potato Blossom of 1975, and Vicki Jones, Vice President of the Women's League, armed with signs and petitions and sweet, slightly desperate smiles. It really wasn't all that long ago we had segregation in the USA, apartheid in South Africa back in the 80s, almost in my lifetime. Why, I was born in 1987. In my lifetime, there's been a wall dividing two parts of Germany. I was technically alive during Prime Ministers Geoffrey Palmer, 1984 to 1989, Mike Moore, 1990 to 1993, and Jim Bolger, 1990 to 1997. Although, hardly anyone talks about them here now in New Zealand. Everyone seems to have forgotten about them. 
But the first Prime Ministers, leaders of New Zealand that I can remember, were Jenny Shipley and Helen Clark. As much as I don't like the centre-right National Party's policies, it's kind of cool to have a man leading the country, to know that one day I too could dream of being Prime Minister, although I'd have to be rich and have all kinds of good connections, and Prime Minister John Key, he worked for Goldman Sachs or something in America, and he, he made $50 million doing all those kind of crazy deals those bankers do, and $50 million is a hell of a lot for New Zealand. <laughs> so, yeah, um... You know, maybe as a man, if I was rich and powerful and scammed people out of their money, I too could be Prime Minister. Maybe I should slip the 30 pieces of silver to Rebecca after all, to get her no good books, when she might be a city councillor. 30 pieces of silver, or $6, whatever works out cheaper. The first 10 years of my life, we had male Prime Ministers, but I don't remember them. I only rem remember paying attention to politics around age 12 or so, Jenny Shipley being in charge, and then Helen Clark, who led from 1999 till 2008. I can't imagine life without my iPhone, without the internet, without podcasts, of taking a few dozen photos a day, selecting the best ones and sharing instantly with your friends around the world, and everyone else who has to put up with your photos on damn Facebook. Imagine life at the time, life with the all-shadowing threat of the Soviet Union in people's lives, or segregation, or apartheid. How would it feel if someone told you, one day this will all go away? Could you imagine it not being there anymore? Would you believe them? We can even see huge changes in terms of the Olympic Games. Back in 1936, they had an interesting Games, held in Germany, where the local light-skinned athletes were trumpeted as being the master race, only to be beaten by African-American Jesse Owens in the running races. Yet in both Germany and his own nation, gold medalist Jesse Owens had a rough life. These clips are from the fantastic podcast The Bugle, starring John Oliver from The Daily Show and his friend Andy Zaltzman. <laughs> But uh, it was amazing. Paul, first man ever to retain both sprint titles. Although Jesse yeah. Owens was denied that opportunity um, by a range of factors. Firstly, the 1940 <laughs> Olympics being postponed due to Hitler being a very naughty man. And also by the fact that he had his amateur status withdrawn soon after the 36 Olympics by the US Athletics Authorities after taking up some commercial endorsement offers. And therefore, he was unable to compete in any future Olympics had they happened. So I think it's fair to say that Owens... It's not quite get the re rewards for success that Bolt <laughs> can expect now. Bolt presumably mm -hmm. already doing quite well financially out of being the fastest man in the history of anything, one of the greatest showmen in the history of sport and a lifelong fan of Visa cards. Whereas Jesse Owens did not even receive a well-done-and-thank-you telegram from President Roosevelt. And when, <laughs> when he was given a reception in his honour in New York City after the 36 games at the Waldorf Astoria Hotel, he, he was given this, this uh, reception in his honour. He had to take the freight elevator up to that reception because he was black. Is that true? That is true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> is Holy shit. Shows how uh, how much progress has been made thanks to people like him. Also, how slow America was out of the blocks in that particular race. <laughs> yes. And Owens ended up trying to make a living by racing against horses. Mm. Yeah. And he said, uh, this is a quote from him, he said, people said it was de degrading for an Olympic champion to run against a horse. But what was I supposed to do? I had four gold medals, but you can't eat four gold medals. Oh. He didn't follow up by saying, at least not at once. 
Now, let's compare that very humble life of Jesse Owen to his modern counterpart, Usain Bolt, who shows off every chance he gets. <laughs> Before the 200 metre final, Bolt was uh, basically trying to chat up the, w- the woman who was monitoring his blocks. <laughs> and <laughs> see, he, I didn't see that. he mimed unplugging the full start mechanism. <laughs> <laughs> Is that true? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's, that's awesome. But it must be so intimidating. To have this before, you know, the most yeah. important sporting event of your life, your prime competitor dicking around <laughs> oh, like yeah, a I, child. That is I the greatest s- psychological warfare in history. We should have tried that with the Germans <laughs> in the First World War. Instead of looking all serious-faced at the Battle of the Somme, we should have come over the top and just started, like, breakdancing. <laughs> I think it was at the World Championships. It was at a certain meet... Uh, about a year ago when uh, he was at the 100 metre start line and uh, the camera came across him he looked to his left shook his head <laughs> looked to his right shook his head pointed at himself and nodded his head <laughs> and I think basically the entire crowd fundamentally agreed with him <laughs> in, in yeah, other you, you, ha- you do have to have the speed to back that up yes, you know, yes. were I to do that on the start yeah. line of an Olympic 100 metres well for a start I'd The 1936 Olympics, an ethnically African champion, compared to a 2012 Olympics ethnically African champion. There's been quite a difference over the years. 1936 to 2012 might sound like forever, back when I can't imagine what it would be like living in 2007 before the iPhone came out, but really, it's just 76 years, or the average lifespan, to see such wild change. From not being allowed in passenger elevators because of the colour of your skin, being treated as stock, as property, and having to slink into the freight elevator for your own gold medal winning reception, to showboating as often as possible, and mugging for the cameras. Bolt even borrowed a journalist's camera and started taking photos himself at the Olympics. It's different times. 76 years might sound simultaneously a long time, well, not actually being that long for such huge culture shock changes, but luckily we don't have to wait that long to see change and progress. Here are two recent Kanye West songs, released online one after the other, by the African-American rapper. And if you could do it better than me, then you do it. We fly it in the parakeet, floating with no parachute, $6,000 parachute, we made it to the Paris News. Don't talk about style, cause I embarrass you. Shut the up when you talk to me, for I embarrass you. Can a young get money anymore? Tell Peter my mink is dragging on the floor. Can I have a bad without no flaws? Come to meet me without no draws. And way too cold... Mr. West mentions that he wears animal skin with the hair left on just to annoy Peter, people for the ethical treatment of animals. Yet in the next song which was available online, I Don't Like, he mentions both Michael Jackson's death but he also mentions what he's eating, quote, vegetarian. From trying to offend an animal rights-ish group in one song by wearing animal skin with the hair left on, to eating vegetarian. Peace with the brown ice. Eating good vegetarian with the brown rice. Girls 
maybe it's some kind of, well, not a single issue campaign, but a double issue campaign about fur and uh, flesh-free Fridays. And it seems to have worked for Mr. Kanye West, although let's hope we get him on the vegan side. Maybe I need to start placing more vegan children's books in his local library or something. How do we all put this into context? <laughs> well, don't ask me. I'm no sociologist, although it sure is fun to put on a big hat, an Animal Rights and Rescue of North Texas t-shirt, and pose with a lot of books behind me. No, we need a specialist to wrap this episode up. I need somebody Help Not just anybody Help You know I need someone Help Not just anybody Help I need a doctor Call me a doctor I need a doctor 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 Of sociology to put this into perspective Have all these crazy clues. Doctor of Sociology, Dr. Roger Yang. Interesting you talk about back then because, you know, um, a lot of animal advocates still seem to get quite frustrated about the slowness of change. And you know, as a sociologist, I always say that social change is rather slow in the absence of revolution, of course. But um, Mama said all politicians were crooks and sinners and would eventually give the country over to the godless Reds who would put all the believers of Jesus, even the Catholics, up against the wall. Well, I hope your mama ain't right, Carrie. We're aiming for a peaceful vegan revolution. We have moved on a great deal, and this this is the you know the, the feeling that I'm getting from you now as well, because you know, I always tell the story, when I went vegan in 1979, in those days, I mean, the, the, the main vegetarian restaurant in London was called Cranks. You know, so, I mean, things yeah. have really moved on in yeah. those terms, but also in terms of, of your discipline, you know. And so we, 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 we often can get frustrated, can't we? And we don't quite, you know, appreciate that things are moving and in, you know, historical terms pretty quickly as well. Oh, very quickly. I mean, I always say now that even with all the burgeoning information about different aspects of animal cognition, the field is still in its infancy. I mean, the strides that have been made, the knowledge that's been gained may have taken other fields 200, 300 years. It's driven a lot because of people's natural curiosity about the animals with whom we share our planet. But, you know, I agree with you. You know, people go, oh, my goodness, you know, it's taking so long to get the information out there or, you know, my interests are my interests are really in the question, what do we do with what we know? And it is so what do we do with what we know? Well, things are moving fast for the animal rights movement, with vegan groups promoting veganism all around the world, be it through monthly potlucks or through trying to reach the city's children, through placing proper brain what books and the library. We had powered flight in 1903, then landed on planet Earth's moon in 1969. That's a mark of the beast like 66 years ago from wobbly North Carolina slash New Zealand, if Richard Pierce flew first. Or with the Wrights said to have flown some 36 meters on their first attempt, to later flying through space and landing on a rock some 380,000 kilometers away. Less than 70 years' time. Less than one human lifespan. 
Not bad. Not bad at all. 76 years between one ethnically African gold medalist having to take the stock, property, freight elevator, and then another ethnically African gold medalist showing off for the cameras, putting himself on public display worldwide. Let's see what kind of progress we can make for the vegan cause in our lifetimes. Thank you for listening to Coexisting with Non-Human Animals, episode 84, Hellhounds with Hot Dogs accompany Stephen King and Men in Tutus. You can find the script for this episode, as well as downloads for every episode of Coexisting with Non-Human Animals at coexisting.co.nz. And you'll be able to find out what Simpsons episodes are used for the crazy clips about fake questions and all that to Mr. Burns. If you want to contact me, I'd love to hear from you. Please send me an email to info at invsoc.org.nz info at invsoc.org.nz I'm also on Facebook and Twitter, Jordan Wyatt, W-Y-A-T-T. And please like our groups on Facebook, Invercargill Vegan Society and Coexisting with Non-Human Animals. Thank you for listening. Away from the notion of animals as things and toward the moral personhood of animals. The choice is ours. If you're not vegan, go vegan. It's easy. It's better for you. It's certainly better for the planet. And most importantly, it's the morally right thing to do.